Hello, my name is Ed Palmer from 212 Radio. This is the IOIC podcast, Internal Communications in the Raw. And on this episode, we have Christian Lefigre, who is currently the Interim Head of Internal Communication at the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, the DCMS. And Christian has a vast amount of experience of comms within Whitehall. So here's how internal communications during a pandemic has looked from a civil service perspective. Thanks, Ed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Jennifer Sproul, the Chief Executive of the Institute of Internal Communication. And as always, I'm delighted to introduce my co-host, Dom. Thanks, Jen. Hello, I'm Dominic Walters. Uh, I'm a consultant specialising in leadership communication, and I work with Jen as a, a governance advisor for the Institute. So we're delighted today to be joined by Christian. Christian, I'm going to hand over to you to introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, Jen, and hi, Dom. Great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so I'm currently the Interim Head of Internal Communication at the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, and formerly of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, and formerly of the Department for Exiting the European Union. Well, Christian, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, you, you just mentioned you started your current role as the DCMS, I think it's, it's the, the way the, it's described, uh, last March, which was uh, obviously a great time to start any new job. As you approach your, your first anniversary, what have been your main successes over the past years? And if there are any, what missteps have you had as well? My, my first day of starting at DCMS was the day the Prime Minister announced the first lockdown. You know, I joined the department remotely. It's not been without its sort of challenges. You know, you talked about, you know, main successes and missteps. Look, um, let's start with the misstep. Let's get that one out of the way, because I think it's obviously our greatest teacher as well. Even now, when I think about this instance, it, it sends a shiver down my spine. It was Back in sort of early November, working on our first um, ever virtual staff conference, it was an experiment. It was, you know, a leap into the unknown. Just as our two fantastic presenters were getting into their stride, suddenly the screen froze. And I thought, please, God, don't let this be happening. We've done so much hard work. So you then sort of started getting a flood of like instant messages saying, Chris, it's not working. Then something from you know, senior leadership, Chris, sort this out quick. <laughs> that was a misstep. And um, I think, you know, I, I, I learned a lesson from that, shall we say. I can imagine there are many people listening to this who are there with you in spirit and empathise with you. I've certainly been in that situation um, virtually. I think also in a face-to-face environment as well. And it's... <laughs> the first part of your question just around sort of successes, you know, I think I'm really sort of proud of, you know, what we did, you know, throughout sort of 2020, pinpoint two things, two big strategic successes. The first one would be adapting the internal communications offer to the organisation. And then secondly, helping our colleagues, the workforce, to transition into a new way of working and then actually supporting them. So on the first of those, you know, adapting our internal communication offer. I mean, first of all, we did a heavy investment in leadership comm. So in the first few months of the lockdown, you know, we broadcast live streams with um, our permanent secretary. So for people who don't know what a permanent secretary is, permanent secretary is the most senior civil servant in a, in a government department. They are essentially like a chief exec. So we, we've got a great permanent secretary in Sarah Healy. So she would do two live streams every week, just, you know, just to give staff an update. We've now sort of transitioned to doing, you know, one a week, but then she does a whole host of other 
internal communication things. The other sort of adaptation we did was just to give staff even more employee voice. So, you know, heavy investment in introducing people who are joining during lockdown. Then we had a series called Working From, where people would be sharing their experiences of, you know, know, working from their location, you know, what were the ups and what were the downs. But also the other sort of adaptation we did was we worked with our HR team on a learning and development campaign because we what we didn't want people to do was to forget their L&D while they were working from home. And so, you know, we, we invested in line manager skills, we invested in sort of leadership development skills as well. Of, of the second of successes, you know, helping our workforce to transition to a new way of working, essentially we upweighted support on the IT side of things. And, and when we did our analysis of what was being most searched for on the internet, it was always IT support. You know, we were also sort of promoting well-being and how to look at look after yourself. Um, so really sort of proud of, you know, everything which the team have actually done. So, you know, those are some of the successes. And, and obviously we had that sort of misstep as well. That's a brilliant list of successes, Christian. I think that far outweighs that, that misstep. So what do you think are the key challenges facing internal communication practitioners in the civil service at the moment? And do you think those have changed over the last 10 years or so and continue to change? I mean, as I sort of reflect on on the year to come, I I see three things which should be on most people's to-do list or, you know, priority list, if you like. And the first one is kind of reimagining the employee experience. The second one is to do with government departments establishing second headquarters outside of London. And the third one, and probably the most important one, is about helping the country, the economy to recover. I've kind of sort of read a lot of, you know, people with big brains, you know, talking about the last 12 months being like a year long pilot or experiment into different ways of working or or even running an organisation. You know, what bits of remote working do we want to keep and what do we want to retire? If we are to move towards a different way of working, and obviously, you know, the word hybrid has been touted around a lot. What does it actually sort of mean for you know building our culture? How do we sort of collaborate? And even things such as line management as well. If you're managing, you know, remotely, you know, there are different dynamics. And the other one is around, you know, capability building as well. And if you're new to an organization like I was, you know, how do you sort of learn? I mean, normally you learn by listening and watching. And if you're in your house, in an office or in a kitchen table, your bedroom, you're not hearing those conversations, which would sort of build your capability. So what is the employee experience, you know, when we emerge from the pandemic? Listen, in addressing those challenges, you mentioned a, a moment ago about leaders, the live streaming that the Permanent Secretary was doing and how we use leaders as communicators is, is a, a common theme in, in all of these podcasts. So it'd be great to find out more about how you involved uh, the Permanent Secretary and other senior leaders in internal communication and then how you equip them to perform that role effectively. You know, I've now worked with four permanent secretaries at the Foreign Office, the Department of Exit in the European Union, and now obviously at DCMS. And none of them have ever needed any prompting getting involved with internal communications. I think they instinctively understand the value of the function, but more than that, they understand the need to engage, you know, their colleagues. We obviously sort of take into account what their preferences are, you know, and what kind of you know, channels they work best with. We had an internal social media thing on, on SharePoint and the then permanent secretary, um, Simon McDonald would do, he would do sort of hashtag, you know, my week. 
And then he would then sort of list out what he's actually sort of doing in that week. This is the most senior civil servant you know, in the Foreign Office. And what that did was actually it kind of gave a, a, a degree of transparency. This is what the leader is focused on. But what it also did was encourage other leaders to, again, use that hashtag, my week. So you get directors, director generals to say what their sort of priorities were. And other people would sort of join in as well. So that was a very sort of quick, easy form of internal communication. Question. I'm going to move on now and pick up on this issue. You know, you talk about data and insight, and many organisations and, and practitioners struggle with that with that sort of measurement piece and demonstrating that value. So, do so you have a way of collecting that data and insight? I think it's always important to have what I would say, you know, a basket of indicators. The annual people survey, you know, has its critics, but, you know, we still use it and a lot of organisations still use it. And that should just only be one, you know, source of information. You know, we get sort of really good response rates on it. We can chop that data up, you know, by many sort of different criteria. And that is a good, solid form of insight, which we get, you know, alongside that. I mean, obviously, we look at sort of our data that which we collect on engagement with our different sort of channels. And then again, we combine that with more qualitative data where, you know, we might sort of run focus groups or sort of workshops and we collect all of that. We also obviously routinely do post-conference surveys, et cetera, and, and those are all very helpful. If you've got those a basket of you know, indicators, both qualitative and quantitative, every good internal comms person, and I also say this as a former proud researcher, you should be able to synthesize that data into a story, if you like. What is it actually telling us about the performance of our internal comms, how our staff are feeling, what should we be focusing on, what should we be sort of doing less of, and, and more importantly, what are we doing as a consequence of it? Christian, thank you very much. Uh, if we can talk a bit about some of the things that make the civil service different, I guess, from many other sectors, is that you have political masters. And political masters, I guess, by definition, tends to tend to change frequently and or their policies shift or we have changes of government and different focuses. So how do you as internal communicators within the civil service keep messages consistent when politically policies and priorities may be changing all of the time? That's a great question. And it's a question which I'm sometimes have asked a lot. Look, you know, shifts in policy and political leadership, you know, come with being a civil servant, that they are part of our territory. And we work for the government of the day. You know, when there is a change of policy, you know, it's my job to work with our policy colleagues and our senior leadership team to co-create a communication package. In 2018, 2019, when I was head of internal comms at the um, Department for Exit in the European Union, you know, there's a lot of policy debate, a lot of sort of twists and turns. The best way for us to do that was um, town hall meetings almost every week with my former permanent secretaries, Philip Rycroft and um, Claire Moriarty. So when there are policy changes, you know, we react to them and we ensure that the senior leadership visibility, that they can sort of explain what they are and that, you know, colleagues can equally sort of ask questions as well. That's brilliant. Thanks, Christian. And um, you've just joined the, the IOIC board as well. And one of the things that, that we're really passionate about at IOIC is encouraging more people to start their career in internal comms. What would you say to someone thinking about starting a career in internal communication, specifically perhaps within the civil service? I mean, first and foremost, you know, life is short and you should you should sort of do something in an industry where people are nice. And generally what I found, I think internal comms people are lovely. You know, when I, I, I made the switch um, from client-side market research, you know, I was just like, wow, people are so friendly and so willing to help. And if you join the in, internal comms, you're going to get that. But I think also 
you want that sort of thrill of being involved in the sort of the the big decisions to be in that room where you know decisions are being made and you know you're being called upon to communicate them at a very early stage in your career you get a lot of exposure to some very senior people you know you could be in the room of a chief exec or a permanent secretary or a director general you know i was sort of directing their video creating their script so you get to work on the big issues you get to work with you know senior leaders you get to work with sort of people who are generally sort of you know friendly Within the civil service, um, you can get some great sort of L and D, and I've certainly sort of you know benefited you know from it. I was able to have a CIPR internal comm certificate funded for me. My first head of internal comms, Catherine Morris, would send me off to you know conferences, and she would say, "Look, can you go off to this organisation?" So there is that wonderful L and D culture. In addition to that, there is a career path if you do want to specialise from a junior grade right up to sort of a deputy head. Also, you can move around. You know, I, and I'm a case study in moving around. You know, I started at the Foreign Office, then moved to the Department of Exiting the European Union, and now I'm at sort of DCMS, and all very sort of different, you know, departments with different cultures and different sort of remits. So you can mix it up a little bit as well. I mean, the other thing I would say, and which I'm particularly proud of, is that we work to some high professional standards, which are set by Alex Aitken, um, our executive director for communications in government. And I think he's done a lot over the last few years in really sort of professionalising internal comms, working you know, with Russell Grossman. And you know, I'm really sort of proud of that. Actually, what's been lovely to hear you talk about is that support, that investment, but also the fact that there is career progression and there's opportunities and there's ability to move. And I absolutely echo the friendliness. I, I also spent many years in um, the market research industry as well before I moved into internal comms. But it is that warmth that we have. And I'm sure there's lots of people that we've been speaking to are now really looking at internal comms as, as their career. And we're going to attract more future talent. And, and that's one of our ambitions. And we're delighted to have you on the board to help us achieve that, aren't we, Dom? Indeed, yes, absolutely. I love the bit about nice people. And that's great. Christian, thank you so much for your time today and talking to us on this podcast. That session was packed with so much practical tools, tips and insights into into what it is to be an internal communicator within the civil service. So thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. And uh, thank you, Jen. And thanks, Don, for inviting me as well. Thank you to Christian for all those insights into how the civil service has approached internal comms during lockdown. Really fascinating, not least the emphasis on L&D and the focus on empowering line managers when it comes to operating remotely. And could there be any greater recommendation for the internal comms industry than everyone in it seems like a really good sort? If you'd like to discuss any of these subjects or suggest new ones for future podcasts, please email jen at jennifer at ioic.org.uk. After all, like you and me and everyone else in the industry, she's just really, really nice. That's it. Thanks for listening.